what it means to be a healthy church member. We've been in this series for several weeks now. And this is where we're kind of making the transition from the idea of the universal church, what it means to be part of God's family uh, for eternity, and how we live that out practically here every week, week in, day in, day out in God's family. Now, before I continue this morning, I I need to lay something on your hearts because it's been laid on my heart. You know, there are some passages and some messages that preachers can, can preach and they get really excited and passionate about it. And, and sometimes it comes across as there's a finger out there of the preacher saying, now follow this, now do that, or else. This has the potential of being one of those kinds of messages. So I just want you to know up front that when we talk about what it means to be a healthy church member, that you know that my heart is for you as, as a shepherd of God's people. That there is a way that God says it is better for us to live out our faith. That there is a way for us to act as believers. There are things that we should be concerned and committed towards. And Paul said this. He knew that this would happen sometimes. And in 1 Timothy, he wrote, But the goal of our instruction, he's talking about the apostles, our instruction as preachers is love from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So I pray that you will receive this message this morning as I want to give it in love, from a good heart, pure conscience, and a sincere faith. Would you pray with me as we begin to examine God's Word? Father, I just thank you for so much talent that you have brought into your people, and specifically to your people here in this local assembly on Coronado. Lord, the worship this morning was fabulous, was fantastic. I thank you for just the the great talent that you have given all those who have been up here this morning. I thank you for those who have come here this morning to praise you, to worship you, to hear from you, and to have their lives changed as we grow together into your people. A holy temple that is built together one block at a time, Jesus being the cornerstone. So we're here to hear from you, Lord to change our hearts, to to mold us together, to be the people that you would have us to be, the people that you already tell us we are as your family who are on mission together in serving you 24-7 for the rest of our lives. So we pray all this and ask you to bless us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when you drive into any town, it used to be this way, maybe it's not quite this way, let's hear in Coronado. When you drive into the main section of town, what is it that you generally see that describes that town? I think we've got a... You guys see these when you drive into town? Now, what are these, generally? Emblems, but what are they emblem of? Groups, clubs, organizations, right? Here's the things that we do in our community, which are all good. I'm not saying anything about This is all good stuff. But what it, exam- or what it uh, exemplifies is this idea of belonging to a club, You get the point, right? Belonging to a club or an organization that requires you to step forward and say, I am not a Lions Club, but I'm going to step over here and say, I am now a Lions Club member. And as a member, I I picked you, that's right. That's why I use Lions Club, yes. As a Lions Club member, you know, Chuck and Erna have said, I've committed our life, or at least a portion of our life, to doing the things that Lions Club people do. 
And they do a lot of great things. All these folks do a lot of great things for communities and people who need help. But there's a commitment involved. You step over the line and you say, okay, now that I am a member, here's what's expected of me. And I think we get that in our culture and we get that into, in our society where we really have a whole lot of clubs. You know, high schools have all kinds of clubs that you can join. Colleges. Special interest groups. SIGs, to those of you in the, uh, in the industry. You know, members-only type organizations. You sign up. You join up. You commit to them. You can commit to giving them money. You commit to giving just to supporting their cause, to being at their rallies, um, being involved in the common interests that, that, they, uh, that they share with you. And here's the point that I'm making this morning. Is that church membership? Is that what we say when I belong to, you know, uh, Third Baptist Church? Is that really what I mean, that I'm joining a Lions Club kind of commitment? Is that what it, is that what it really means? Interesting thought, isn't it? We've been talking about how when you have realized that God has worked in your heart and you have gone from being dead in sins and trespasses, which God says we all start off that way, and that as he brings life into you through the gospel, that you transition and you go into this this new uh, um, household, if you will, this new group of people called the Ecclesia, the called out people of the world, because I have gone from death into life. Membership is not optional at that point. You are placed into that group of people at the moment of salvation. That's the universal, invisible, eternal church of Jesus Christ. And if you have professed faith in Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior, you have been brought from death into life, and you are a member of that organization called the Church of Jesus Christ. We're all clear on that, I hope. So now what we're talking about in the next couple, three weeks is this idea that I work that out somehow. I live that out. I am required to live that out somehow, some way. We've been examining ourselves to see if we're a healthy church member. We've been looking at theological and doctrinal understandings of what that healthy church membership means, mostly in that universal, eternal, worldwide kind of uh, picture. And now we're moving on to see about that expression of that in our local involvement, our local assembly. You know, there's a lot of attitudes towards organized religion, organized church out there, even amongst church people. And some of them are not that complimentary. There was a survey done uh, online... Asked some folks to give church folks who had been going to church, been attending a local assembly. They were asked to give their opinions of, do you like church and why do you go, why do you don't go? And so I just want to pull a couple of comments out here and just read with me some of the understanding that these folks have. This person who said, who titled her, her comment, Set Free, said, for 35 years I have struggled to go to church. I am not a singer, I'm a bit of an introvert, and every week I force myself to mix and be part of several church groups. Listen to this. It finally dawned on me that God was not asking this sacrifice of me, and I have stopped going. For the first time in years, I am actively enjoying being a follower of Jesus and have tremendous peace, joy, and happiness 
It is this though it is if though I have been set free to live my life and I no longer feel depressed because she quit going to church. I feel that I am serving God properly at long last by being a peaceful, loving, kind presence in the world rather than a depressed, harassed bundle of nerves in the church. I have learned a lot from the church, but in the end, for my sanity, she says, I had to leave. What is wrong with church when someone says that is what drives me away? And I think in our in our busy world that we've got this idea of what church is and we've missed what the whole point really should be. Here's another one titled his comment that he wrote in, Ex-Pew Sitter. I don't go to church because those people think they're better than me. They manipulate the masses for money. They look down their nose at me and he says, I hate them. Boy, he's got some real issues with church folk, huh? Yeah. He says, uh, I went to church for seven years. Back in the 80s, the church that I was going to, they split, and they were fighting. They were a bunch of phonies. I would like to find God. Hopefully, he is not like that church. Oh, God, where are you? Now, many people, people who profess faith, think that church, the local visible, assembled gathering, which you see here this morning, uh, as well as membership to that organization, is a spiritual relic that hinders spiritual freedom and fruitfulness. And you hear it expressed in, I don't need to go to that building to do church. Now, they're right in one degree, but this building is not church. We say that all the time here, don't we? Church is not a place, it's not a time, and it's not an event. Although, we come to this building at 10 o'clock Sunday morning to do this event we call Worship God. But that's not what church is about. So, why do people not come? What are their reasons, maybe, for separating themselves from the local body to say, you know what, I can go down to the beach and be with God. And you know what, you can. But is that the extent? of your Christian walk. Why don't people come and commit themselves more to a local body? Here's some reasons. Maybe it's indifferent. Just plain indifference. You can take it or leave it. I'm not excited about it. I'm not negative about it. It really just doesn't matter to me. I just do my own thing. What about ignorance? Maybe they're just uninformed. Maybe folks have never considered the Bible's view of church before. Maybe they're indecisive. Maybe they just can't make up their mind. You know those people that just seems like life just happens to them? They just go around through life and wait till stuff happens to them? Maybe they're independent and they think that they're a lone ranger Christian that doesn't want the burden of church membership. Maybe they feel that that allows people to be in your business if you're part of this local body. And so there are folks who will come to a a church and consume what they need, get that feeling of whatever it is they're looking for, and then they will leave unattached, maybe not even knowing the people they worshipped with that morning. Now, megachurches are great for enabling this, just because of the fact that when you put 5,000 people together, you're not going to know very many of them. 
And then there's this category. Maybe, maybe some of this has been you guys in the past. Maybe it's, you're here this morning and you're experiencing some of this. I hope we can help clear this up. There's an inverted reason for not coming to church. Inverted. Slow to commit. You're inverted. You're kind of always on the inside wondering what's going on. You're not extroverted, in other words. Maybe you're slow to commit to a local church because you have emotions and feelings that are somewhere else. Maybe there's strong attachments to a home church. And I know that in a military community, when you're going to be here for two years, 18 months, whatever it is, and you love the church that you came from home, the thought of you leaving that church just doesn't sit right with you. And so it's almost an act of, of, of disloyalty to say, well, I'll become a member of this church while I'm here. And I'm thinking all the time, oh, my gosh. I have to move my, I have to call back home and tell those folks I'm no longer a member there at that church. And I know that bothers a lot of people. Does it have to, should it bother someone, or should we realize that while we're in a place with God's people, for however long that is, we're going to commit to them to worship with them, serve with them, give with them, and let God's purpose be worked through us? Is that maybe a better way of looking at church commitment? Here's the problem. The root cause of of all of of these reasons why people don't really commit to church is the failure, I think. The failure to grasp, or seriously consider at least, that the local church body, and that's in Houston vernacular, y'all. The local church body is central, capital C, central in God's blueprint and plan for the life of his people. That's why the message series is called Blueprint. This is how God has designed us to live out Christian life, is in community with each other. Tabidi Anyabawali, uh, who wrote a book that I, I really I love about how to be a healthy church member, he says this, it's so true. People don't become committed church members and therefore healthy Christians because they don't understand that such a commitment is precisely how God intends his people to live out the faith and experience Christian love. So our message today, my message today, the one I want you to take home with you, among all the other things we're going to talk about, is that what is church membership here on this earth as you walk through it day by day? It's a commitment. It's not joining the club. It's not getting the parking spot, which would be cool in Coronado if you could have reserved parking spots. People would maybe lining up in the dozens to join a church if they get their own private parking spot. It's a commitment. It's a commitment to God, and it's a commitment to each other. Because we are going to live out our identity as a family. You know, God saved us. We'll look at this in just a minute. God saved us to be a family. A people, his own people. And as that family, we, we are committed to come and, and listen to God's word together. To grow in grace and knowledge together. In fact, the scriptures say that when we grow as God's people, we grow together. You say, well, wait a minute, I do personal Bible study. Good. Bring what you found out in here with the rest of us and let's compare notes. Because our theology is always best worked out in community. Always. 
So we listen together. We grow together. We serve together. We, let me say that again. We serve together. There we go. All right. And I think sometimes in this world, we've missed the joy of serving because like the video that we watched before, we tend to think churches are a lot. What have they got for me? What have they got for my kid? What have they got for, you know, my situation in life? Have they got that singles group that I can go and meet new people with? Have they got that, that group that, you know, those, um, you know, the, the folks, that, the empty nesters that I can come in and do, do they have that for me there? And then finally, as a family, not only are we supposed to, to listen together and grow together and, and serve together, but we've got to be making disciples. I mean, you realize that the church is essentially one generation from extinction. If we don't grow up the next generation, who's going to be there to do the work of the kingdom? Now, we believe in the sovereignty of God. Don't get me wrong. He will find a way to do it. And, and I just want him to use us. I want him to use me. So we're going to ask a couple of questions. We're going to answer a couple of questions this morning. That's really the rest of the message. Two questions. Is church membership biblical, and is it required? When I talk about membership, remember we've already said that if you're born again from death into life, you have already been placed into God's house. So we'll look at that scripture again to make sure you understand that. Now the next thing is joining a local assembly somewhere where you live, work, desire, whatever. Is it biblical to do that? And then is it required to do that? So first, first question. Is joining a local church body biblical? You all with me? You know where we're going, right? Okay. Now here's the problem. Unfortunately, I can't, I can't take you to the concordance and say, look up church membership and let's go to the you know, you know, third chronicles and find out where they did that. It's not there. So you're going to have to work with me this morning in looking at the whole of God's word, the whole counsel, to understand that, theologically speaking, we need to see that this is God's plan. And it starts in the Old Testament. And here's the thought that I want to start putting in your, in your head. There's always been, in God's economy, an outside and an inside. There's always those who belong to God and those who did not belong to God, who were in opposition to God. Oh, it started in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? started in the Garden of Eden. When you see the very garden itself, and initially, God's people lived in the garden. God cared for them. He walked with them in the cool of the day. That's where they hung out, with God. They were God's people, the first family. And then Adam and Eve, they fell. They fell into sin. And God said, I'm going to take you out of where my people hang out. I'm going to put you outside the garden. And it's kind of been the same ever since. Think about the other Old Testament stories. How about um, the, the Noah and the ark? It's a pretty clear representation that God had an inside and God had an outside. God's people, eight, all eight of them at that point, lived inside the ark. Those who were not with God's people were on the outside. So God has always made a distinction of who was with him and who was not with him. The nation of Israel had a very clear inside and outside. In fact, I think if you go back and you study a lot of the um, ceremonial laws and the things that, that God put in place for his people, how they ate and, and how they wore clothes and the kind of worship they did, where they worshipped, 
you'll see that God's point in all that, um, I hope, is that he's, he said you're going to be separate and distinct from all the people. He even said this in Deuteronomy 7. Actually, Deuteronomy 7 is one of the most uh, critical verses in the Old Testament. It's just always overlooked. In Deuteronomy, God says, Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them, the people that you're going into the uh, into community with, the pagan peoples in the Canaan land. He says, Don't marry them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Did they do that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Israel struggled with idolatry her whole existence. And then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. So you see, in the Old Testament, it was very clear. There's an inside of God's people who walk with God, who are clearly God's people, shown to be that to the rest of the world. In Israel, it's so clear. It's how they drank, or excuse me, how they ate, what they drank, how they lived, and, and the clothes that they wore. Everything was designed in the Old Testament to show, these are my people who walk with me. World, look at them. Originally, that was Israel was supposed to be the oracle of God, right? Come to see God by how these people live. Now we get to the New Testament. And all those ethnic and cultural boundaries are just blown up. There's no longer any free man or any slave, no longer woman nor man, no longer Greek nor Jew, right? All are one in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean that God has stopped having an inside and an outside visibility in the world. There is still an absolute clear line of who are God's people and who are not God's people. We're going to look at several verses this morning to kind of follow this logic. So you follow with me. If you have your Bibles, I think they'll be up on the board here too. Look in Ephesians. We'll look at there this morning just to kind of start this. You know, there are um, dozens of references to the word church in the New Testament. Dozens. And with the exception of just a few, it's always used in the passage addressing real people. Not the universal, um, eternal membership from going from death to life, but real people in a real place in the real world. That's how the writers of the New Testament use the word church. So, in Ephesians, Paul has this great letter about unity. And basically in chapter 1, just to recap what chapter 1 says, he says, here's all the blessings that y'all, because actually I think he was from Houston, Paul was. He said, y'all have all these same blessings together. You share them together. And then in chapter 2, he says, you know what? By the way, y'all started off life together in sin, right? You all had death. You all were dead in your sins and trespasses, and you all came to life through the gospel. You all were transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. Then he continues that thought, and in verse 19, so he says this, So then you, church folk, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Don't underline that. Don't, Don't miss that. Highlight that. He just said, you have gone from being the devil's crew to now God's kingdom. And oh, by the way, you're in his house. You're his family. He calls you sons and daughters. And that ought to be just an incredible thing for us to consider. 
He says in verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and they didn't always get it right. So to make sure that we understand that the church is God's plan, he says the whole thing was built on Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole building that you and you and you and you and me are being fitted together. Growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So Paul uses this picture of a temple being built. He says, we are building this temple of God. You know, it's going to take, uh, it's going to take Terry and put her over here, and put Nancy and put her over here, and put Juan and put him over here. He's going to start building this temple of people, this kingdom. We're fitted together. And so we have to understand that we have the same identity. We're going to hit on this later on as well, but this, this whole idea of being family, who have the same origin, who have the same purpose, have the same design. So we see that we know that we are together. There's some, some evidence of that. Some of the things that we see in the New Testament, everybody makes a profession of faith, I believe. Everybody does that. So we know that we've gone from death to life because I made a profession. There's fruit. There's a change in our life. Everybody who's part of this family, who's part of this body, part of this group, there's something about you that's different than there was before. We take part in the sacraments together. We break bread together in communion. We get baptized. We show the visible public, uh, public profession of the world that we have gone from, from this old way of life, this old group to this new way of life in Christ. And then finally, there was a challenge. We'll cover this more in just a moment. But the church was challenged to judge those inside while not judging those outside. How can you do that if you don't know who's inside and who's outside the people of God today? So, is church membership biblical? I think we can see that we definitely have this precedent that God's people are always identified as being separate and unique from the rest of the world. So is it biblical that I belong to this people, this group? Yes. Check. I think in your, in your inserts you have a little checkbox. Go ahead and check that one, yes. If you, if you can't do that just yet, you need to talk to more about me, with me about that, fine, we can do that. But I think we can check the box, yes. Church membership is biblical. Second question. Is church membership required? It's going to be a little bit harder. Is it required for me to, and let me just use the term, sign on the dotted line, although it's not really required. It's a profession, a commitment, some promise, something that you say, yes, I belong. Is that required of every Christian? Every Christian. We're going to have to examine this through something called logical implication. Now, what does logical implication mean? Logical implications is like an if-then statement. If this happens and that happens, then we can draw this conclusion. Right? Let's give me an example. All humans are mortal. Everybody says, yeah, I agree with that. Nancy is human. Everybody would agree with that. Therefore, Nancy is mortal. You see how that works? It's a logical conclusion. If this is true and that's true, then I can say that that is true as well. All surfers get wet. Right? Cameron is all wet. Therefore, Cameron is a surfer. Thank you. See? I thought you were going to laugh when I said I was all wet, but you didn't, so that's okay. 
So let's look at this morning the logical implication about church membership. There's some arguments I want to lead you through to show that I think church membership, joining a local group, is not only biblical, it's required. First argument would come from church leadership. You know, in 1 Timothy and Titus 1, we see these requirements for church leadership. It's very detailed about how do you select church leaders. What are the qualities of a church leader? There are explicit demands for the leaders to shepherd the individuals that they are over and for those people to submit to their leaders. Hebrews 13 has got some passages in it. It says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. In other words, be like those who lead you. Watch their lives, watch what they say, watch what they do, be like them. And then in verse 17... Obey your leaders and submit to them. It's a spiritual authority issue. For they, your leaders, your shepherds, keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So understand the relationship. There is an identifiable leadership, one for leaders to lead, and the most sure way of knowing you're leading someone is what? To look behind you and see who's following. There's got to be people following you. If there is no identifiable leadership, there is no one for leaders to lead. Submission to their spiritual authority, as the Hebrews passage requires, becomes nonsense then if the leaders are not responsible for some group of people who are identified as the church. Scripture repeatedly commands Christians to submit to their leaders, and the only way to do that is by publicly defining who is and who is not in the church. So, logical implication. If the church requires leaders and the church is supposed to follow that leader, then there must be an identifiable group of people that are being led who are inside as God's people compared to those who are not being led, who are outside of God's people. So I think there's an argument from church leadership. Then there's a church discipline argument. And we're going to talk more about what church discipline is next week because I think it's a healthy sign of folks who know what that is and submit themselves to it when necessary. But in 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul tells the believers in Corinth to remove from their fellowship a man involved in sexual immorality. He says, look, you've tried everything you can. You've talked to him. You've practiced church discipline, which we'll talk about next week. Now remove him from your midst. Excommunicate him, in other words. Now this is an agreement with Jesus taught in Matthew 18 as a, as a whole about church discipline. But the practice of church discipline establishes a clear distinction between God's people, the church, and the surrounding world. In fact, Paul makes this distinction crystal clear. He says in 1 Corinthians 5, 12, what have I have to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are inside the church? How do you know who's inside the church if you don't have someone who says, I'm a member of that group? How would you do that? Ever. If there is no visible, practical way of determining who belongs in the church and who belongs to the world, this distinction is lost, and removing them from their for your fellowship, as Paul commanded them to do, is impossible to accomplish. And you can't do church discipline. And yet it's one of the very sure signs of a healthy church and a healthy church member. So, logical implication. If the church is supposed to discipline members, possibly even removing them from the fellowship, 
then those inside the church have to be identifiable. And I think some kind of official church membership then must be required. Remember, Jesus established the church for specific reasons. Remember a few weeks ago we said the first thing we need to know about the church universal is that Jesus is the head and we're all following him. Uh, anybody ever be in business and we have those reorgs happen and they just disrupt the world and everybody's moving to different places? And So Jesus did this big reorg of faith. He said, let me just change how you guys do church. You, you guys that go to the temple all the time and hang out. And let me just blow this up and show you how we're going to do it. I'm the head. There's a couple of leaders and elders out here and you all got some gifts and you'll figure it out together. Boy, that blew it all up, didn't it? Jesus says, I want the world to see my people. And the world's got to know who my people are. The Jesus, he wants the world to know who his people are. How is the world going to know that, who belongs to Jesus and who doesn't? Let me just let you think about that for a second. How in the world is Jesus going to operate on this earth if the world doesn't see his people, who he's operating through. Jesus intends for his people to be marked out as a visible and public group, which means joining the local church. Now, I'm going to say again, I, this is not a membership drive. Do not think I'm trying to blow up the membership of this church. That is not what I'm about. It has never been proven good for people to go at on their own. I hope you all see that in Scripture. If you're out there on your own, even in the Old Testament, you're not with the people of God, there's something that's going to happen to you. You do not draw upon the strength of God's people and the wisdom of God's people and the the power that exists in the church if you're out there on your own. You have to become part of what this body is. So not only is church membership biblical, church membership, I think, is required. It's required. You have to somehow raise your hand, speak a promise, sign something to say, I'm with you guys. I'm committed to what you're doing. I'm going to help serve. I'm going to help give. I'm going to help pray. I'm going to find out what my strengths are, you strength finders. Where's Sarah at? We're going to find out what your strengths are in this church. We are. We're going to do that. We're going to find out how you best operate on this planet and then turn you loose and say, go do that with God's people. Make, make you excited to be able to be part of that. So, church membership, it's a commitment. What is the core, the essence of a committed church membership? What's the core of it? You know, Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, he's talking to the disciples, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples because you wear your jackets that have C on the back of them. No, that's not what he said. He said, all men are going to know that you're my disciples if you love one another. You know, Charles Ryrie says that the strongest possible argument for Christian faith is mutual love for each other. The strongest possible argument of Christians and their faith is how they love each other. The disciples of Jesus were marked by the love they had for each other. And Jesus says, the world is watching. They're looking to see what Jesus said is true. The mark of Christian discipleship 
is love. Love like what Jesus exercised his followers. A love so unique, a love so distinct, a love that's so unlike what the world sees that they have to say, where does that come from? And a healthy Christian and a healthy church member is one who is committed to expressing this kind of love towards other Christians. And the best place to do that is right here with your family. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider us, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to be encouraging each other, holding each other accountable. Hey, I haven't seen you in a couple weeks, man. What's wrong? Everything okay? Everybody done that? Has anybody ever been to a church where, where you didn't show up for three weeks and nobody even called to find out where you were? You ever been to a church like that? Oh, shame on that church. Shame on those church members. The local assembly, the one sitting here in this place this morning and in many places in Coronado and in many places around the world is how God has decided to best stir up each other to encouragement and for folks to do good deeds. Remember that little song we teach all the kids, this little light of mine? I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it, but you know what song I'm talking about, right? This little light of mine? I'm going to let it shine. Do I have any volunteers want to come up and help me? No? Okay. Tanner? No? Tanner saying no? Okay. But that's, we teach our kids that, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to make it shine. And then when we get to about, oh, 16, 17, we just kind of forget that ever existed. And we never let folks tear a little light anymore. Why is that? Because we've got so much else to do. Granted, I know there is so much to do out in the world. Our schedules are lined up from the moment we get up to the moment we got to sleep. And if we want to do anything else in our schedule, man, it's hard. But here's the thing. Here's the truth. Human nature says, I will always find time to do that which I think is most important. And if you don't believe that, you just look at the things you do and the things that you say, ah, oh, that'll wait, you know? you'll start to realize, I really do make time for the things that I want to do. So what does a committed church member look like? We say it's about commitment. What does a committed church member look like? And, and these identifiable traits, that are not meant to discourage you. They're not meant to accuse you. What they are meant to do is for me to take a little checklist and say, am, am I maybe practicing this? Am I going too far down this road? Is there something I need to do to, to make myself a more healthy, committed church member? Member, because it is biblical and it is required, and it is God's way of making His His love known in the world. So here are some things, six things, and then we'll close after this. So just hang on. Are we okay? Are we good? Six more things, and we're going to close. First thing, first sign of a healthy church member attends regularly. You think, wow, that's not a big deal. Yeah, it's a huge deal. Attending faithfully the services of the church. Did you know this is the first, I think, first and foremost ministry of every Christian in a local church? Why? Because although we have a lot of other things to do, and maybe we meet up with our friends, and maybe we're in our community groups, and we're in our life groups, or whatever we want to call them, and maybe we hung out with them, 
But you know what? The one time that we gather together that's set in stone is Sunday morning. And you cannot be known. You cannot be active if we are not present with those in the only ways we know to make Christian love possible. And that's meeting together here. It starts here. Such a big problem in today's culture because there's so much happening to distract us from the weekly gathering or the weekly community group event or bi-weekly, whatever you're attending. There's so much that you can say, you know what, I got community group tonight, but I got the kids practice and I got to get this homework done and I got to go to the store and I got these returns to make and I'm just not going to make any time. And so quickly we're done. Just that quickly we've booted the God's people out of our life. And you all do it because I do it too. And when we say that when we gather together, it's the very best thing we can do, and I say that a lot on Sunday mornings, and I mean that. It is the very best thing you can do. And if there's anything that you're going to do that's more important than all those other things that you've got to do, it's got to be getting with God's people. Here's the lie of Satan. Here's where Satan has got our culture. He has got us to think that gathering together as God's people during the week or on Sunday, or whenever we have our commitment, that the other things in our life are at the same level of importance. And at sometimes, maybe they're a little bit more important. Now, you've got to fight that lie, and you've got to fight that deceit, because that is not true. Getting together with God's people is more important than the boys' soccer game, or the girls' whatever they do. <laughs> they do just about everything the guys do now, I guess, don't they? Did you get my point? You can't say, I'm a Christian and I'm committed to the church and this is the most important thing I got in my life, but you know what? I got this other thing and it's happening on Sunday morning. Don't you think the devil knows that Sunday morning is when we gather? You know, when I grew up, nobody did anything on Sunday morning. The stores didn't even open on Sunday morning. Look at our culture now when they purposely schedule it on Sunday to leave Saturday open for the families. I hope you all see that. <laughs> believe it or not, the devil is intended to break us down. He wants us to break our fellowship. He wants us to break our time with God. That's what he wants. You know, when I was in North Carolina, Nancy and I were doing uh, an outreach at the local seafood festival. Remember that? It was huge. The whole town, Morehead City, man, it was thousands and thousands of people come. And we, had, we, were, we were handing out her, her seafood gumbo. Right? Recipe. It was good stuff. We were selling it, you know, making money. Handing out Jesus videos and witnessing. It was great. And, and the thing opened up on, like, 9 o'clock Sunday morning. And you had to get there and get open because everybody was coming. And I had a choice to make. I was the leader of it. I said, we're either going to get there Sunday morning, and we're going to open it up, and we're going to be right there when all the people come rushing in, or we are going to postpone opening that up and go to church on Sunday morning and worship first. And you know what I picked? Guess which one? No. I did not. But boy, after speaking to the pastor, I wish I had. Because he let me know in no uncertain terms, and I have never made that mistake again in my life, that there is nothing more important. Even the good things of witnessing to lost people handing out great seafood gumbo and Jesus videos is not as important as being with God's people when they gather. What a testimony, he said to me, if they had put a sign up that said, we're worshiping with God's people, see you when we're done. 
Boy, I wish I had thought of that. I did not, and I regret it to this day. So those other things that we do, family things, personal things, fun things, man, they're good, but there's only one other thing that should trump that. Just one other thing. Consider if Jesus announced that he was going to be in the pulpit this morning. What would you, what would you do? Would you drop everything and come? Or would you say, man, is he going to be back next week? Because <laughs> I got this thing going on today, I can't make it. <laughs> So attend faithfully. And not only do we want to hear God's word with God's people and grow accordingly, we want to develop our personal relationships with God, right? That's another thing that we need to make sure we're, we're doing. Personal relationship is important. God wants to deal with you on a one-on-one level. So we read our Bibles and we take time to pray. Personal time with God. And I just want to say those two things, attending church service regularly... And, and learning more about who God is, and then taking that out into our community. That's our vision, by the way. It's on your bulletins. It says reach up, right? That's what you're doing here. And then reach out. And that's what you do every day, intentionally. Number three, a committed church member is committed to the protection of the unity in the church. Unity in the church. Unity in the church. We bear the burdens of others. We act in love toward them. When they are nice to us, and even when they're not, we still act in love toward them. We seek peace with them. We pursue reconciliation with them. We resolve conflict in a godly manner. We strive to repair breaches as soon as we can. Even before continuing in public worship, we get back together and say, Hey, did I offend you? Hey, are we okay? We seek peace and desire unity by not gossiping about each other. We protect unity and prevent division by following the leaders in the church. We do those things. Because we're committed church members. Number four, we're committed to mutual edification, the building up of each other. Each one of you has gifts that I don't have. We all have certain talents that the others don't have. And God has said the only way this thing's going to work to build up together is if you come in and you hook up together. You know, it's the one consistent purpose or goal of the public meeting, the public gathering, whether that be on Sunday or Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever you do it, Big groups or small groups, a healthy and committed church member comes to serve, not to be served, just like Jesus. To provide and not to be a consumer only. That means developing a servant's heart and attitude, just like Jesus. Committed church member number five supports the work of ministry. In other words, we give resources and time and talents to the furtherance of the gospel. We discover our gifts and we find our strengths. I'm working it in there. I love that. We find a place of ongoing service in this body right here. Number six, the committed church member understands that there is a sharing of responsibility in the church, that praying for the church and its growth is on the front lines of reaching a lost and dying world. We invite people to attend church services, invite them to come and hang out with us wherever that is. We warmly welcome all those who visit in here because this is God's family. And we understand that sometimes we have to give our financial resources because that's how the world operates. I wish we could get a pass and say, hey, look, all these windows we wanted in here, can you just write it off for us? But the window manufacturer doesn't do that. He says, no, I need cash. And by the way, the windows are awesome. Yes, they're great. 
Now, what do you think about those six things? I'm just curious. What do you think about those? Would you guys sign up to be that kind of group of people? Would you sign up to commit to do that with people? Well, I've just tricked you because those are the covenant requirements of this church. And they're in your handout. I'm not asking you to sign it or anything. I just wanted you to know that's what we ask. When you say come and be a member of this body, that's what I'm talking about. So in conclusion, if we fail to associate ourselves in a lasting and committed way with the head of the church, that's Jesus, by joining his body, it must be a sign of our ingratitude. And it must come out of an uninformed heart, or maybe it's just a dull heart. John Piper, great theologian writer, he says this, A church member is someone who by signature or word of commitment or promise says, I am committed to a people And to resist putting your name on the line for that, he says there is something wrong. We live in the greatest country on earth. The greatest country that ever existed. And we have the privilege of living in a place where we can freely join a local congregation and do all the things that we just talked about to show the world that we are God's people. It's not always the case today. It's not always been in the past There was a gentleman named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you know who he is. World War II. He led the underground church, Nazi Germany. He wrote a lot of journals. He wrote a book about his life and the things that were going on. And and here's something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, persecuted church in Nazi Germany. Just imagine that. And he says this, It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted together visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered, the lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands, they stand alone. They know that a visible fellowship is a blessing. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living in common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let them thank God on their knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. Now you all got to know that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed for his ministry. And those were some of his dying words. In your bulletins, on the back of the page, there's a couple of questions that I'm going to close with this morning. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your commitment to membership in your local church? I'm not talking about just this one. Wherever you are, wherever you go, In life in general, how would you rate your commitment? One to ten. Ten being the best that you think you could do. And here's the thing. If it's not a ten, I'm going to ask you why not. And then this question. How would a church with members who are so deeply committed to each other and loving each other the way we've talked about, how would that change the perception of church in any community, but especially this one. How would people look at church and go, man, there's something different about them and the way they live and the way they love and the way they act. There's something different about them. And I want it. And I want it. We're going to close. I ask you all to stand for a closing prayer in just a moment. In your bulletins, I want a couple of announcements here. Um, 
you know, in our giving, we're giving $1,000 to the Filipino Relief Fund. If you want to give to that, please give some extra monies to that. And write on there and say Filipino Relief Fund, and we'll get it to them. We're giving some. I hope you will, too. You want to plug in? There's some chances immediately for y'all to plug in. Community dinner here on Wednesday night. We're going to break bread together. Six o'clock. Let's be here, and let's let the folks out there say, what is going on in there? We're having a church family, notice this, family Christmas party December 20th. At Rachel and Gary. Where are you guys at? Are you here? Are they teaching? There they are, right in the front row. Excellent. We're going to have a Christmas party at their house. The whole church family. It's going to be so much fun, you don't want to miss it. And people are going to say, wow, can those guys have that kind of fun? Absolutely. Come and experience it. If you want to plug in, look, in the back here it says, I want to become a member. I want to find out something about what it means to be a member of this church. Or I want to plug in somewhere. I want to get into a community group. I want to start doing life with people. I want to start living and loving like what you're talking about. Yeah, we can do that. we got community groups. We meet all the time to do that kind of thing. You want to get plugged in, we can do that. Remember, our goal is to know the gospel better, to build and make relationships and invite people into our life and show them what it means to be a follower of Christ. So let's stand and we'll pray and then we'll, we'll sing one last song. Would you stand with me this morning? Final prayer. Sorry, we're just a little bit long. I got a long-winded this morning. I had a lot to say. Thank you. I love you for letting me do that, by the way. So, Father, we just want to close this morning and say with a grateful heart that we know, just like Dietrich Bonhoeffer did, that it is by your grace that we are here this morning and that we can love each other, and that together we can live out this thing called a Christian life. And all you ask of us is to just be ourselves, find out what makes us tick, find out our strengths, get the, the gospel just saturated into our hearts and our lives, and live that out for you. Help us to do that. Help us to be your people who desire to do that above everything else that's good in this world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Amen.